Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Lord, as our worship has been focused on the preeminence of Christ, in Him alone we stand. God, we thank you. Many may trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. We thank you that Christ and Christ alone is the Savior, the Deliverer, the Sovereign One who has come. By His grace, we've entered into that place. And now, Lord, we surrender. We ask that you'd come. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here this morning. Would you take the words? You've taken the songs, the lyrics. Lord, I ask you to pierce our hearts. It says that the Word of God cannot return void. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, Lord, I ask that you just set aside all the distractions, wherever your people might be, all the kids and things, plans for today. The God, we just set that all aside right now. Lord, we ask that you captivate our hearts and our thoughts right now, that this Word would go through. It says the Word of God in Hebrews 4 is full of living power, and it's able to cut between the soul realm and the spirit realm. God, would you take your sword, that two-edged sword, and would you now cut between the spirit and the soul? It is by the spirit. The spirit gives life. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And we surrender this time to you. And now, Lord, we want to lift our offerings to you. We thank you that you have given us life, every breath, every heartbeat. We don't have any guarantees about tomorrow. But we have this privilege today to be able to come and give you an offering, first of ourselves, our hearts, but then, Lord, of our substance. Lord, we thank you that you said, seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything that you need will be given to you. Jesus teaches the parable, look, Solomon wasn't even dressed in the glory of the lilies, the flowers. The ravens, they don't toil, and yet God provides. God, I thank you for your blessing now. Take these tithes and take the offerings and advance your kingdom for your glory and your purposes now. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You can give online. Many of you have been doing that. We so appreciate that. And But you can also drop the check off or you can... Mail it in. However, thank you for helping us to advance the kingdom. Had a call last night from uh, a pastor, Jaime, and his wife in the Amazon region of Leticia, outside uh, in the Amazon region in Colombia. And they were describing how difficult it is. This is a pastor that we've been working with. We were going to actually go, we would be headed very soon to a mission trip there, but everything's in lockdown. So they're in desperate need. All the stores are closed, everything. It's been two months there in complete lockdown. And many of them live, many of our pastors live from mouth, hand to mouth. So we're gonna, we've done some sending of some funds there, and we're going to ask the Lord to do more. So if you can help us in any of our mission outreach. Nepal, as well, is still in lockdown. Did get an email this week from uh, Peyton and Julie McKeithen in Costa Rica. They're also in that place. Uh, some financial challenges. So I just thank God that He meets all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Well, good morning. Praise God. I'm glad you're with us. Thank you, team, for being with us and worshiping with us this morning. May 17th. Wow, it's a beautiful day out there, too. So those who are just joining, maybe you didn't hear the announcement, but next week we're going to be back together first time in several months. We'll be here meeting on the grounds. We're going to do a bilingual combined service outside, so bring your chair, sunscreen, a hat. Uh, we'll have our worship team set up on the back part of the land, and uh, we've rented a tent to cover, and uh, we'll set up on the hill. We have a hill with our cross and our farm back there. We're just going to spread out and just worship God. It is uh, Pentecost Sunday. We've been in, in prayer and fasting. Join us on the fast on the 30th as well. We're expecting that God is going to be pouring out in a mighty way. And uh, we anticipate a move of Christ across the whole globe. So, praise God. I have a message burning within me this morning that um, I want to bring to you. I've titled the message, 
the war within. Maybe we could put that first slide up. The war within. And um, maybe kind of a question I want to ask us to start is have you won your battle with sin? Interesting statement. Have you won your battle with sin? If you said, oh, yes, well, that's good. You probably have certain areas of your life. I, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. But to say that you've completely won your battle with sin, um, that's not biblical. If not, it would uh, undo what Jesus said. He said that we're to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 that if you don't walk after the Spirit, you'll walk after the flesh, and that daily you had to take up your cross and nail your passions to it every day. So there's this war within. We've, um, we've spent several months actually going through Breaking Free on Wednesday night, uh, looking at that, and we, we dealt a lot with uh, the demonic darkness and the war. But today I want to talk to us about actually two enemies that exist. And so in the war within, knowing your enemy is pretty important. The, uh, the first enemy, obviously, is the devil himself. We know that. What did uh, Paul tell us? He told us that uh, the, the war within was a fight. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, watch out, the devil seeks whom he may devour. Take a firm stand against him. We know in Revelation 12, if you want to turn there, you're going to need a piece of paper along with a pen to write down some of these scriptures. I'm going to give you a ton of them today. But in Revelation chapter 12, it speaks of the dragon, the devil. This is in verse 17, Revelation 12:17. John the Revelator, through the revelation that was given, it says, the dragon, the devil, was angry with the woman and declared war. King James says, went to make war with the remnant of the children, the seed. Who are they? Which keep the commandment of God and maintain or have their testimony in Jesus. So it is clear from Scripture. Peter tells us that. Take a firm stand against him. The revelator tells us, John says, there's a war going on. There was a war in heaven. That, the good news is he was thrown out of heaven. The bad news is he was thrown down to earth. And this battle, and he makes war against those who still have and maintain their testimony and keep the commandments of Christ. But there's another enemy, and it's you. It's me. And today, I want us to focus on what is this enemy that's within. Uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. I'm going to touch on that. But there's a very intriguing set of scriptures that has actually been about controversy in Romans 7. Remember where Paul says this? Oh, wretched man. Let's turn there if you would like to. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. And let's begin. Let's start in verse 14. Romans 7, 14. My Bible titles this, The Struggle with Sin. So the trouble, Paul says in verse 14, is not with the law. It's spiritual and it's good. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, are good. They give us boundaries. They don't change. He says, there's nothing trouble with the law. He says, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human and a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I'm doing what is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, I've had people tell me, I don't like that. That kind of gives an excuse. Oh, well, the devil made me do it. The sin made me do it. It's really not me. Um, you're going to have to take the rest of these chapters in full context. There's no escape here. So let me move on. It says, Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I want to know, I do what, don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, 
I'm not really the one doing it. It's the sin living in me that does it. That could give some confusion if you don't understand the rest of the context. Verse 21, he says, he says this, Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now this is Paul. This was the redeemed Paul. This was the one who had been met on the road to Damascus, had gotten baptized, remember the scales fell off his eyes. This is Paul. He says, this sin that is still within me. Goes on and he says, verse 22, this power within me. But then he says, oh, what a wretched or miserable man. King James says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Listen to that wording. King James says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will free me? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? New Living Translation says this, verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Dominated by sin and death. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus. That's why I love the song set, Christ Alone. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey the law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. The war within, the struggle with sin. We can't really understand this without the fullness of both chapter 5, 6, and 8 to understand this chapter 7. Turn with me, just turn the page. Look at chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. I love this. Paul starts out with this, oh, wretched man, in verse 7 there, but then he, in chapter 7, then he goes on and says, so now there's no condemnation, in verse 1, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. King James says, there is therefore, after this law of sin, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now we start to pick up this walk, this activity. Look at the next verse, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. I want to tackle four laws that are dealt with here in the Scriptures Romans. Well, first of all, he deals in the first part of Romans 2, 3, 4 with the law of Moses, the commandments. That's the law, the moral law of God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Honor father, mother. That's the moral law of God. It has not changed. But then he speaks of, in Romans three twenty seven, he says this, the law of faith. There is this, turn, turn back, in verse 27 of chapter 3 of Romans, he says, should I boast if I'm, he says, no, I can't boast. Is it, should I boast about my work? Should I boast? No. I boast about the law of faith. The law of faith, interesting statement. The law of faith, I believe that the law of faith operates throughout Scripture. Let me give an example. Remember the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. 12 years, all of her money spent, she's sick. She hears about Jesus, and she says within herself, if I can just reach the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And Jesus, you know the whole th the story there, there's a crowd, and he, this woman reaches out, touches him. Jesus says this, I sensed or felt virtue leave me. Power leaves Jesus. In his human form, the, the power of God, the sovereign, the, the holy presence within him, Previously, he goes on, he says, you let yourselves, interesting, here's free will, previously you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness. 
which led you ever deeper into sin. I want you to see is a progression to sin, which we're going to look at in a minute. Now you must give yourself, you must give yourselves to be slaves of righteous living so that you will become holy. But I thought it was already righteous. Yes. But there's a striving, there's a working out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's the ascension of the hill of God with clean hands and pure hearts, Psalm 24. But now, he goes on, he says, but now you are free from the power of sin and you become the slaves of God. Now, you do these things that led to holiness and a result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see this? There's two laws and there's two outcomes. He speaks of these slave camps, these, the slave camp of sin and the slave camp of Christ. The question is, you're going to trade slave camps? We may not like the terminology, but Paul deals with it and it's, it's very black and white here. It's this, this, this determination of sin and evil and good and righteousness. He goes on, he says, we're no longer slaves. So when we decide, I don't know, I was making a list on the, what are some of the things that are in the slave camp list? These fleshly weaknesses, pride, selfishness, gossip, greed, the love of pleasure. Remember, John goes on and says, if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. Overindulgence, food, clothing, stuff, critical, judgmental of people, government, church, pornography, drugs, alcohol, food excesses, idolatry to work or the love of money, ungodly soul ties to a person, adultery, fornication, fears and anxiety, hatred, racism, unforgiveness, jealousy, covetousness, just some of the stuff of the slave camp that many of us have come out of. When Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, remember he was about ready to go. He was about to be arrested. He asked his three closest to pray with him, and they kept falling asleep. He went to him three times. He makes an amazing statement in Matthew 26, 41. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation he makes this statement he knows the flesh is weak his own his own flesh remember he cried out to the father father take this cup from me if there's any other way i don't want to do this he submits to the father says nevertheless your will be done not mine and so we knows that the flesh is weak but then he gives how do you beat this flesh and sin and temptation Watch and pray. Watch out for yourself. That goes with Peter. Watch out. Take a firm stand against the devil. He seeks whom he may devour. He goes on and he deals with this in, in that chapter, chapter 6 of Romans. The old sinful nature has been crucified. If you look at that scripture, the actual word there, it's in verse 6. The old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, Romans 6, 6, crucified with Christ that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for we have died with Christ and were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we'll also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ has raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death has no longer power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives, he lives for the glory of God, so you should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do you see this? You're dead to sin, but you have a choice. You can, this is a battle. I don't know if we can pull up those pictures in any way. Have we got those that we can pull up? This struggle that is within, he speaks of the battleground. And he says, we're no longer fearful slaves. 
we no longer fear what the enemy can do. And so, as we look at this chapter, he goes on, he says, don't you realize, verse 16, that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which, by the way, will lead to death. When you start entertaining a particular sin, that sin takes you places you don't want to go, that you never thought you would go. And this, Satan wants to make you a prisoner of this war. He wants you to be a prisoner of war. But God says the free gift of righteousness. In fact, I love this in Romans chapter 3. This is the, when you look at chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6, building up to 7, O wretched man that I am, and then I'm now free in the spirit, Romans 8. He says this, Satan is trying to make you a prisoner of war. But he says at least six times in Romans chapter 3, you count it, you've been made right, you've been made the righteousness of Christ. And so, go back one, I want you to see this struggle that is in us, every one of us. This is that, the struggle of both evil and light. If you look at it, the, the world is there. We know that the God of this world, Satan himself, depicted by the, 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 the snake that's coiled up at the foot, right? The battle of light pulling us this way. This is the Holy Spirit over here declaring to us the goodness of God and the darkness over here pulling us in that direction. This is where Paul's saying, oh, wretched man that I am. The next one, we see this halo where we've now got the righteousness of Christ. We, we believe we're walking in it. But in the shadow place right behind us is this evil, sinful nature. Now, like you're let me get the last picture. This one is an ugly thing. I'm sure my, my wife and grandkids say, oh, that's ugly. This is uh, basically the swamp creature. You see that thing? This really, when I, when I saw this creature, I said, well, well, that's ugly. I don't want that. Guess what? That's your old sinful nature, dude. That's you. That's me. It, and it re leads to credence. Let me read you a scripture. You want to get a scripture for it. Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3, Paul tells the church at Colossus in verse 1, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at the right hand. Think about things of heaven, not on earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ is your life is revealed to the whole world, you're going to share His glory. That's the really great news. You're seated with Christ, you're in Christ... But here's the rest of the Paul Harvey on this story. You've got to do something. I've got to do something. Verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. We don't like to think of it this way. We don't like to think of that swamp creature is, is what? Hello? That thing wants to capture you into slavery. Let me read on in Colossians. It says, this sinful earth, you've got to put it to death. How do you put it to death? By the Holy Spirit. This sinful thing that lurks within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. A greedy person's an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. See, love of self, love of the world. Because of these sins, an anger is coming from God. You used to do these things. When your life was still part of the world. Remember, you're no longer of this world. You're a sojourner, an alien. But now the time is to get rid of. Now he lists some more. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off the old nature. See this guy? Beat that guy up. Get him out of here. Dress up differently in this thing. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Do you see the battle? The battle within? In this new life, verse 11, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Christ who lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must... Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And guess what? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. 
Remember, the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. But above all, verse 14, clothe yourselves with love that binds us all together in this harmony. So whether you're in Romans or Colossians, John, Revelation, the love of God within us, Satan is trying to make us part of his slave camp. We've got to put this sin to death. But I love it in verse, let's turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5, it says the gift of God. I love this part, this gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. Look at 5. Let's begin in verse 17. Actually, let's look at 16. Romans 5, 16. As a result of God's gracious gift, it's very different from the result of the one man's sin. He's speaking about Adam. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads us to being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For who? For all who receive it. It will live in triumph over sin. Triumph over sin. You will triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That grace came. He comes down and he says in verse 19, God has made us righteous. The law was given, verse 20, that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled in all the people and brought death, now God's grace rules instead, giving us the right standing with him, resulting in eternal life. But then just in case anybody says, well, that's cool, then we'll just sin more. He goes on in verse 1 of chapter 6. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can now show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it. This is the lifestyle. He talks about the lifestyle. We, we covered this a few weeks back in 1 John. If you live this life of continuing in a sin, the love of God is not in you. It's not possible. Look at 1 John. Look at all five chapters of 1 John, and you'll see he makes it really clear. The, the old man John, in his late years, writes that book and says, you cannot keep practicing this lifestyle not if the love of God is in you. If it is this life practice that you think you've justified or compromised with, you're a liar. The love of God is not in you. It's pretty strong words. He goes on and says, verse 5 in chapter 6, Since we have been united with Christ in His death, we shall also be raised with Him. We know that the old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So I want us to see that this behavior, this wages of sin that is death. Let me use an example here. We need to know ourselves, but we also need to know, I don't know about you, but when I know who the enemy is, I have a better understanding of the revelation and what I might do. We spent a lot of time dealing with Satan and his darkness and how to stand against him, its identity, and we, we've dealt with that in breaking free. But this whole idea of the evil nature that's within us, where we get this picture, is when Paul says, you're never free from that. In Galatians 5, I read that. You're never free from the conflict. That's why you've got to wake up tomorrow and nail the passions with it in Galatians. You want to turn, turn with me that? Let's turn to Galatians 5 that last part of walking in the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, verse 24, the whole, ch the whole verse there from chapter 5, 16 through 24 is very, very powerful. But let's look at verse 24. Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ, so if you belong to Him, you've nailed the passions and desires of that nature, that sinful nature, to the cross and crucified them there. 
Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part. This is the daily walk. This is moment by moment, the understanding, the desire to seek God, to obey Him. Holy Spirit, what do you say about this? What about that? This is this daily walking with Him. They are the ones who are living by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, every corner, every closet, every attic of your life led by the Spirit. Let's not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This walk of the Spirit, once we realize, I don't know about how it works for you, but let me, let me go give a natural example in the parable here. When, um, when I was in the submarine service, when I worked for General Electric and we, I operated submarines, there was a, I remember this as I was thinking about, if you need to understand both the equipment and the weapon. I want to use this analogy that you are the equipment in this fight because the enemy is within you, but the weapon is the Holy Spirit. Give you an example. When, uh, when I was on the USS Norwal, we were deployed, uh, we were coming out of New London. We went off, we went out the Long Island Sound, and we were going to be in a war game against the USS Corey, which was a destroyer plant, uh, destroyer ship, uh, surface ship. We call them targets. And so, in that war game, we went off, the, we got out to the continental shelf and we dove off a of block island there and we had to rendezvous, we had to come up and engage the USS Corey. Now they had torpedoes, they had uh, anti-submarine stuff, of course it was a war game so we're not going to actually do it. We had an admiral on board, we had just come out of a refit, we had gotten a new a weapons system, and a new weapons officer, our captain was going to qualify the crew on the weapons system in this mock war trial. And there was an Admiral Scott on board who was going to evaluate what was going on. And the USS Corey was there. We were to engage that and, and launch a Mark 48 torpedo below its draft. We didn't actually sink it. They set the torpedo at a level so you could run this torpedo underneath uh, the Corey. And they had a torpedo recovery ship and they would tell you, yes, you got it. It was a direct hit. Well, we went to battle stations over and over again. So you've got to understand the submarine has its equipment. You've got to understand the equipment. You got to understand your weaknesses and the equipment. You got to know the limitations, what you put the equipment through. We had to know the depth that you could shoot a Mark 48 torpedo. We had to get the angles right. You got the torpedo lined up with the, you got to get the angle and the Doppler angles set. And in the midst of that, we weren't doing very well, <laughs> actually. Now, we went to battle stations over and over again. The Admiral wasn't very pleased. I know the Captain wasn't very pleased. But I remember the Captain took the con and he maneuvered that like I might back my car up in the parking lot. He knew that ship in such a way, and it was direct hit. What's the point? If you don't understand the equipment, you don't understand yourself, what are your limitations? What are the way the devil plays you? And you don't understand the weapon system of the Holy Ghost in your life. You cannot live this victories. You can't. It's not possible. That's why we're, we're inching up on the Pentecost Sunday, the baptism, the release of the Holy Ghost that came in Acts chapter 2 that was prophesied by Joel. He was prophesied it would come and then Peter stands up and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. When that was released, everything changed. When the Holy Spirit came in power, the disciples who were these scared little young men hiding out, now they become these bold ones who go to Gate Beautiful and says, they heal the young man, the man at Gate Beautiful, challenge and says, don't you, they're told to stop speaking Christ. He says, you think we're going to listen to you when you crucified Christ Jesus, the one who you, has been raised from the dead? These became the powerful, bold seekers of God. You got to know who you are. You got to know that there's a creature in there that if that thing is given any room, yes, it says in Romans 6, that we've been crucified with Christ. This is this, wait, I thought I was dead to sin and death. You are, but guess what? That creature still lives within. And if you, if you feed that thing, you give it any grace, it's going to rise up and it's going to, it's sitting right behind there. Got to keep it down. Let me give you another analogy. All this talk about viruses and bacterias. Do you know, you may not like it, but have you ever looked at what's on your skin? Have you put your skin cells under microscope? Or how about this? We know that there's good bacteria in your gut. And if it's there, and it, you take probiotics, some of you, to have a good gut that helps with digestion, there is good bacteria. 
But if you get bad bacteria, you take antibiotics, you kill the good bacteria, and the, old, and the bad bacteria starts to grow, you become sick. Your quality of life becomes less and less. It is so in the spirit realm. If you want a strong, healthy spirit immune system, you better watch and pray. If not, you start feeding that thing the wrong stuff of the world, the wrong diet of the world and evil, you're going to get sick. And the wages of sin is death. Now, it may not be ultimately, you may get saved ultimately in salvation, but you start messing around, you'll destroy your marriage. You start getting drunk and you'll destroy your children. The wages of sin is loaded with death. And you and I have a choice that we would choose life and you would live. Deuteronomy 30. Oh, heaven and earth is witnessing the choices you make, that you would choose life and you would live. So with this idea that we can no longer be fearful slaves, that we're the children of God, that we don't have to fear judgment. There's a statement I've heard. I don't know if you've heard this before, but, man, it's true. Sin will take you where you don't want to go. Sin will make you pay more than you want to pay. Sin will make you stay longer than you want to stay. There's an interesting question I've asked myself in the past, and it's also important when we do prayer ministry. When you think about this, the wages of sin is death. Sin is first pleasing, <laughs> right? When you were a sinner, you were good at it <laughs> when you practiced that lifestyle. Probably had very little conscious issues with it. But first, sin is pleasing. This is the enticement. This is how the slave camp works. Sin is first pleasing. Then it becomes easy. Then it becomes more delightful. Then it becomes more frequent. Then it becomes habitual. And the one becomes confirmed and then they also become obstinate, self-resolved, never to repent again, and then they are ruined. So the question I have, when does sin become empowered by the demonic? When does a demon get involved in this? If we know that the weapon of our warfare is not carnal, it's mighty, right? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. The weapons that you fight with are not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive, everything that raises itself above the knowledge of Christ. Pull it down. Capture it. That word fortress, stronghold, fortress. Well, if that stronghold, that fortress, that power, the Holy Spirit, when does the demonic activity become so entrenched in our sin that we no longer... This is, this is the sad story of those who are ensnared. I was talking to a man recently from another portion of the state, trapped in pornography, addicted to pornography, ruined his, ruining his marriage, destroying his health, so addicted. He's, when does alcohol, you know, when you start drinking, start hitting on drugs, no one sits and says, I can't wait to become a heroin addict. Well, when does this thing become so demonic that now the empowerment of the flesh is now overridden by powers of darkness? I'm sure it varies, but we do know that the wages of this death march, this sin walk is death. See, sin is a work. It goes on and he describes this Sin is a labor for hire. The satanic overlord is the slave-driving taskmaster. He demands total commitment and ultimately your death. That's his plan. You know from John 10.10 10, that the devil has come to kill, steal, destroy. See, sin will work you, but righteousness will reward you. But God gives us the ability to choose. He gives us His grace. 
He wants to perfect this holiness. There's a couple of scriptures that in this whole walk of perfecting holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says, perfect holiness, cleanse yourselves. Well, we need the righteousness of Christ. But there is this choice that we can make. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2, 11, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain, resist fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Sin will produce death in your relationships, in your health, in your walk, and it's clear that God does not want that for us. So if you think of this story of ending, I want to end this on a high note. (laughs) I want us to see that Paul, even though he says, oh, wretched man, I'd encourage you to read chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 together. Look at them. You'll get the full context of this. Where the good news in Romans 3 says, you've been made the righteousness of Christ. Remember, he's talking to the church at Rome, and he does such a marvelous job in all of those chapters. But he says, you've been made the righteousness of Christ. We know that Abraham, it was counted unto Abraham for righteousness because he believed God. You believe God. But so is the devil. So it's the activity, it's the actions, not by works that you get saved, but there has to be validation of the walk of the faithful, righteous walk that validates this walk with Christ. So I'm not saying it's righteousness by works, but there is this whole thing we read in James, right? Show me your faith and I'll show you my works. This choice of walking in Romans Five, he goes on, he says, you've been made the righteousness of Christ. Then he goes on, Paul says, it's no longer I that lives, but now Christ that lives in me. And then the struggle with sin. If you look at just chapter 7 by itself, oh, wretched man, you think, well, Paul didn't have any victory over it. Well, we know you can't get past, you ought to get really excited. I would really, this is the homework assignment, if I can give that to you for the week. For sure, it would be great if you read Romans 5, 6, and 7, but please read chapter 8 before next Sunday. In the Pentecost outpouring, the thing that we're standing for, asking God, and many of us believe, you, you know, Amos says that there's nothing that isn't revealed first, that's going to happen that isn't first revealed to the prophets. And many, 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 many of today's prophetic people are declaring an outpouring is coming. A major move of God. Now, in verse one of chapter eight, it says, don't worry about your sin and patterns of that. If you don't condemn yourself, don't let shame and condemnation that goes with it. If you're in Christ, you're no longer ashamed. You've moved in that first John one nine, confessing our sins to him. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins. He's faithful to forgive you. He says, there's no condemnation, no fear. And then he goes on. I think I counted it. 29 times in 31 verses, and 39 verses, chapter 8, 21 times in 39 verses, of course it'll vary depending on your translation, but 15 times in the first 16 verses, he uses the word spirit, that's enmity with God. He reiterates this whole uh, summary again. He says, I have great news for you. The power, the weapon of the Holy Spirit in your life that has now baptized you Here's another scripture you'll want to meditate on. In Luke 11, Luke 11, turn there for a minute. The greatest gift, now there's a gift of salvation, and I think it's, it's kind of in there. It's like it's incorporated in this. This is that scripture, Luke 11. He's te- Jesus is teaching about prayer. Keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on knocking. Don't give up. Verse 9, he goes, then he, he shifts from that ongoing bombarding heaven with prayer. Verse 10, everyone who asks will receive. The door will open. Then he shifts. In verse 11, he says, you fathers, earthly fathers, your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Of, or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you're sinful and you know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the operative. How much more will your that's possessive, heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. 
If you've not asked the Father, your Heavenly Father, to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, please get on your face this week. During your fast time, God, I want more. And if you receive the baptism, if you receive the Holy Spirit, I don't know what theology you might begin, but you could look at Romans, uh, look at Acts chapter 8, 19. I believe there are multiple baptisms. There's a baptism of water. There's the baptism of salvation. And there's a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 8 says there were believers in Samaria. It said the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. Look at that in Acts chapter 8. In chapter 19 of Acts, it says in verse 1 through 6, there were 12 Greek brothers, Greek believers. The first thing Paul asked them when he gets there to Ephesus is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, one of the past places, denominations I came out of says, once you got saved, that's it. You got everything. It's not biblical. Look at that scripture. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts chapter 19. There is a greater baptism. There's a higher calling. There's an there's a impartation that comes. And I don't believe we can win the battle with the swamp creature within unless you have the weapon of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, making a choice to willfully walk in righteousness. You have a choice and so do I. So let me pray. and Lord, I pray now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask for the revelation of the Spirit of God to come. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd go right through the airwaves. You would touch the hearts of yours. There'd be no condemnation. Those who I know I've spoken this morning, maybe you're waking up and you've got a hangover. You're, you've messed up this week. You struggled and you battled and you lost. You made wrong choices. You have a choice right now. Get up, make a decision. Come and repent. Ask God to forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. He's faithful to forgive you. But you've got to turn. Get rid of your stuff. Throw away your stash. Break your bong. Get rid of the mess. Dump your phone. Get rid of the contacts that make you susceptible. Get a block on your computer. Come on. Make a choice. Heaven is watching. He wants us to see. Heaven and earth will witness. Deuteronomy 30, the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life and live and that you and your descendants would live. It's the law of life in the spirit. But the law of sin and death and that creature wants to drag us back into the swamp of life. God, I pray now, Lord, as we ask for you, Holy Spirit, if there are those that don't know you, they've tuned in, God, right now I ask, God, that that spirit of Antichrist, unbelief and doubt would be bound in Jesus' name, that they would just get down on their knees and they'd ask God to forgive me. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. There's a scripture that Jesus shared. He said in the temple, the Pharisee, the religious leader came in. He said, I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. I tithe and and I pray, and I, I give my stuff. And the tax collector got on his face and said, forgive me, God, I'm such a sinner. And Jesus turned to his disciples and says, which one of you, which one of these do you think found redemption today? Pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. God, we, we submit to you. God, we need you. God, we ask now that you'd reach out and touch the hands of those that are struggling, those that are battling. God, I, I ask now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we're going to close out with a song. And so I want to give you a testimony. One of our ladies who was kind of home had been locked down, and her name's Arlene, and we called. And Pastor Nilsa called her and said, Arlene, can you come? We need some bilingual support on our House of Mercy line. Many, many need prayer, and we've had some Spanish-speaking people come. And so two weeks ago, two weeks ago Thursday, Arlene came. Said I've been home. I was kind of just sad and just really. Oof. And I came and I started to pray for people. They came on the prayer line. They came and got food, and then they pulled over to the prayer tent. And I walked over to her two weeks ago, and she says, "Man, I, I'm not sad anymore. I'm, I'm, God is just using its prayer. It's one." Well, this past Thursday she came. We set up three tents, <laughs> praise God, for prayer. And people were coming. And uh, Arlene shared this testimony with me. My mom, who was in one prayer tent, 
the week before, one of the things Arlene had is she apparently had damaged her back, had hurt it. She couldn't sleep for a week, uh, for a month, she said. And my mom, she's 93. She doesn't like to wear a hat. For Mother's Day, I got her a hat. She didn't wear it. Um, but she went and Addie borrowed, I went and got a hat from Addie two weeks ago and gave her a hat and got her a jacket. It was windy, blowing. And her hat kept blowing off, kept blowing off. Well, mom's 93. Arlene, with her sore back, would go over, I think she said around 10 times, she'd bend over and get my mom's hat that blew away. On the last time she bent over, she felt and she heard, you're healed. She's had no back problems since. <laughs> so put that piece together. What is that? You're here, depressed and sad. You know, if you give, and you, it's not that we give to get, but hey, you, man, you just give and the Lord just uses us in the midst of that giving. It's so encouraging. But in the midst of the battle of helping an older lady who shouldn't bend over because my mom's had back issues. She's had shots and breaks and cavern, all these crazy. So she didn't want the older lady to bend over. So in her pain, she sacrificed for that. And God said, okay, watch this. <laughs> I love it. I love how God is so, he's so good. So Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, release the, the testimony of Jesus. If there's any here that is struggling, if you've got back trouble right now, you might want to slowly bend over if you can do that and just ask God to heal you right now in Jesus' name. God, I thank you. Anyone who's depressed or discouraged in the name of Jesus, we break all discouragement, despair. Take a walk. Make a choice. Get out in the sunshine. Help somebody out. God, I thank you. Someone that you need to forgive, get on the phone. Call them today. Now, Lord, we pray for Pentecost. This week, Lord, would you come and move among us here? And to next week, God, I pray, Sunday, as we come back after several months, there would be such a move of your presence that you would just release such a goodness of God among the land of the living. So I pray for each of those that are listening by sound of my voice. Be blessed and encouraged. God loves you, and we do too. Take care. Have a great day.